I have the privilege to start us off in a new series. We're going to be taking now until good part, all the way up probably till nearly the end of the year, um, about the Reformation Day, Halloween, whatever you want to call it, the 31st. Uh, we're going to go from now until then, and we're going to be in the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark. The title of this series is Incredible. And what we want to do, there's, there are goals that we have, and why are we studying Mark? Well, obviously, it's God's Word. That's good enough. But we've got some, some points here, some pointed things what we want to do. Um, the goal is for us to perhaps um, master Mark. I want you to have the concept of mastering the book of Mark. We want to we want to discover his word and we want to discover his deeds. In Mark, it's it's unusual in the Gospels in that Mark actually focuses more on the deeds of Jesus than the teaching of Jesus. Now, there's buckets of teaching there, but in Mark, Jesus is a man of action. He does things all the time. He takes dominion. He is God in the flesh, active over creation, active. He takes on all comers. And defeats them soundly. But he also actively is engaged in the training and discipleship and love and forgiveness of his people. As Israel gathers and comes to him. So he is a man of action. But what we want to do is walk away with mastering Mark. So many times, and it's it's very good advice, but so many times you hear, Hey, new Christian, send them to the book of John. The gospel of John. And that's great advice, but Mark, actually, I want you to to think through. It's 16 chapters. It takes an hour to read. And it's, it's written to a culture that's similar to the South Florida culture. It is a great place to understand the gospel and send somebody there. So for evangelism, somebody you're talking to about God, oh, you can just open up Mark and walk people through. The deity of Christ is there. Everything that God does and has done in Christ is contained in this first gospel that was written, Mark. For us, it also brings us challenge for discipleship. It brings us a lot of encouragement And as we're going to discover as we walk through Mark together over the next several months, there's a lot of comfort in Mark 2. For us living in a fallen world, for us living in a country that seems to be sliding morally in areas that that we know are not according to the Bible, welcome to the audience of the original, the original audience of Mark. They were facing Nero. And Mark brings them challenge, courage, and comfort. But the biggest reason, these are all the things that are wonderful, evangelism, things in our own hearts. But here's the goal. We want to discover, once again, for some, maybe for the first time, for all of us, maybe an opportunity to do it again. We want to fall in love with Jesus. Because you know what? Hence the title. Jesus, his words, his deeds, everything about him, he is incredible. And we want to rediscover that afresh with the gospel of Mark. I don't know about you, but I, 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 need a, I need a push sometimes. I just get caught up in the cares of life and just living and all the hassle. Mark is a great gospel. The whole Bible is good, but Mark, in specificity for us right now, it's a great gospel because it's short. You can nail it once a week with no problem. This repetition about who he is and what he does and the challenge he brings and the comfort he brings. Oh my, we can just master this book for our own soul's sake 
but to give away to others. Sometimes you, you, you encounter things and you don't know, where do I go? And it, Well, there's so many. Good. Mark's got it all. When Peter gave the very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost, basically, he outlined the book of Mark. Or we, bas- or we could say, as we'll discover in a few minutes, Mark is Peter's teaching explained in detail. Mark is the very first Christian sermon ever given reduced to writing. It's got everything we need right there. But what I love about Mark and why I'm excited about Mark is I just get to see Jesus and Jesus in the flesh. Jesus, God's son. Jesus who died for me. Mark has been described as a passion, as in Passion Week, a passion narrative that has a short introduction. Others say it's a long introduction to a passion narrative with a short week. Mark takes half the book to explain who Jesus is and what he does. And then he goes almost freeze frame, step by step, from chapter 8 forward about Jesus' last week or last time. He sets his face like flint to Jerusalem, and as we get closer to his last week, it goes slower and slower. And then when we get to Hosanna to the highest, what we were singing, as he walks into the temple, it almost goes moment by moment, hour by hour. And it just focuses me anyway on Christ who loved me and who died for me and who became man and took on flesh and entered into a world much like I face to bring me challenge, to bring me comfort. He is incredible. He is, we almost named it amazing or amazed. I mean, there are so many adjectives we could use, but that's the goal. We just, he is indescribable. And we just want to worship at his feet as we take the next several months just to focus exclusively on him and what he did when he was in the flesh for us and for our salvation. What an incredible God to take on flesh and to, to live the life he did, to suffer and to die, to learn obedience as a son and to say, listen, I'm not calling you to be someone different than I've been. I am, I am representing God. I am reflecting God. I'm God in the flesh and I'm learning obedience as a son. Come and follow me, and I'll teach you how to obey. And you can be conformed to my image, and let's suffer together for the sake of others, for the glory of God. Welcome to Mark. He's incredible, and this gospel, this descriptor, this story, the first gospel written is incredible as well. Let's pray. Lord, help us. (laughs) Oh, Lord. It would take us an hour to read this gospel. Lord, help me as I cover the highlights, as we give an introduction. But Lord, more than, than, Lord, show up through preaching. Help me and us to hear. Holy Spirit, come and fall on your people afresh. Fill us fresh with your Spirit with expectancy and love for your word as it reveals you, Lord Jesus. You're Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And you dwell in us by your Spirit. And you've revealed yourself to us by your Word. Oh, Father, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Spirit. Lord, make your Son fresh to us again this morning. And Lord, pierce our hearts. Lord, inflame our hearts. Give us eyes to see you afresh. Lord, Hosanna, save us. Lord, not in a going to heaven sense for those of us that have already repented and believed, but Lord, save us from the drudgery and the distraction of this world. Lord, like the old hymn said, let us turn our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. That's our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First slide. This is Mark 1.1, 1, 1, and this is all we're going to talk about today. We're not going any further than this verse. So you'll, we'll need your Bible. We'll look at a couple other verses, but Mark 1.1 1, 1 is where we're going to be. The SV says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That could be a title. That could be an opening paragraph. That tells you what the entire gospel is about. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God of God. So our first point is going to be Mark. (laughs) Who was Mark? Who wrote this thing? What is this gospel about? Well, the early church unanimously, within the first century, the early church unanimously agreed that the author of the gospel, this gospel, was John Mark. Now, these are English translations of of a Hebrew and a Roman name, like Paul, like Saul Paul. You've got John and Mark. So the author of this gospel was John Mark. John Mark was an eyewitness to some of the events in the life of Jesus. John Mark was the son of a wealthy woman. The Bible describes in the New Testament her name is Mary. Um, She she owned a house in or near Jerusalem. Um, She hosted early in the early church in Acts 12. She hosted believers. It was it was one of the places where folks met. Even some folks argue and, and can argue in a good way that that the Last Supper occurred in her house. John Mark is, the, is probably the young man, the kid, that, that just had a blanket on as Jesus went from whatever the location of the Last Supper was out to Gethsemane and, and to the mountain. And here comes the guys and they're going to take Jesus away. And they grab the closest disciple, this, little, this young guy who's watching and he's got a cloak on and he pulls away and runs for his life back home to his mama. That's John Mark. He probably just slipped that in, historians think, just to kind of let him, let them know it was him. He's also the relative of Barnabas, as in the first big fight that separated two pastors in the New Testament of Paul or Saul and Barnabas fame. He was the guy who went along with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey and who deserted them. And went back home. He was a relative of Barnabas. And he was the cause for the fight that split the two of them up. That's when Paul said, no, I'm not having a quitter on the team. We're going on another one. We can't do this again. 
Barnum said, no, no, he'll be fine. No, no, we're done. And, and the Bible describes that as a sharp disagreement. You can think of all that you think sharp disagreement between the two of them. And it split them. And God used that split to take the gospel. But at that point, Mark vaporizes from the text. <laughs> now, tradition, whether or not it's true, tradition tells us that he then went down to Egypt, to Alexandria, planted a church there. So God wasn't done with John Mark, with Mark, but for sure, whether or not that's accurate, we do know that in Colossians, Paul is in Rome under house arrest as a prisoner in Rome. And Mark appears. Mark's with Paul again. We see that when Paul is thinking he's going to die in 2 Timothy, he asked Timothy, his son in the Lord, he says, listen, I need you to bring Mark with you. He's useful to me. He went from useless to useful, from deserter to faithful man. We find John Mark, or Mark, was also with Peter. Remember when Peter was freed in the book of Acts, and and the doors open and he goes to the house of Mary? Mark's there. That's his first kind of association with Peter. But the final association, and the one church history knows him the best for, he was with Peter in Rome at the end of Peter's ministry because it was the end of Peter's life. When, when Peter was martyred, church history tells us that upside down, crucified during the, the persecution of Nero, Mark was there. Peter refers to Mark as my son in 1 Peter 5. Failed, redeemed, reused. Welcome to the sky. An ancient church leader in the first century who, who knew, he was in the time in between the times, this, this historian who knew the disciples and knew about Mark and knew about Peter firsthand, eyeball to eyeball, he stated that Mark wrote down everything that Peter told him about the sayings and the deeds of Jesus. And of course, the Holy Spirit moved on Mark and inspired him to write this gospel. If you compare Mark with the other three Gospels, you'll find details in Mark that are not in the other Gospels. It's great. This is the Gospel where you find that Jesus' family came to basically take Jesus away because they thought he was nuts. That's Mark. Mark gives little details that same story. We all know it. The house is so full. And it reflects Peter's personality. I mean, the house is so filled with people. This is the Gospel that says... And we couldn't even eat. There were so many people. I was starving to death and we couldn't even eat. Welcome to Peter. Welcome to Mark. Oh, it's a great, it it gets a lot done in a short amount of time. So it's no surprise that Peter figures prominently in the gospel according to Mark. Now Mark probably wrote this gospel just before or just after the death of Peter in Rome. And around the time of the death of Paul as well, in Rome too. Ancient church history, they all agree that Peter died during the latter years of Nero's reign. Remember, there was a fire that probably Nero himself started. And he blamed the Christians and that began a wholesale persecution of Christians in the capital city. And that led to the death of both of those apostles. Mark is writing during that time probably. So that puts it sometime around A.D. 65. So it's right before or right after a persecution. That's also just a few years back in Palestine 
the, the, the zealots are starting to get control again, and they're ramping up with a rebellion to Rome that five years or so after this gospel is released to persecuted Christians, Rome's going to destroy the temple and wipe everything out in Jerusalem. That's what's going on in the world as Mark is penning this gospel. Other items would say, ah, it's probably a Roman audience. Jewish customs need explanation to these Romans. Aramaic expressions need translation to these Romans who speak Greek and Latin. And Romans is presented, all the Roman citizens and Roman officials are typically, where it's possible, Mark's being street smart, he's writing to a church under persecution, and he has to present them, he presents them truthfully, but in a neutral light, or where possible, like the centurion, who says, that was the Son of God. He presents them in a positive light. You find that, that Jesus is declared by Peter. You know the Peter's confession that you're the Christ, the Son of... Okay, yes. You know where that happened? In Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea as in Caesar. He, all, of, all of Mark happens, the majority of Mark happens up in the quasi-pagan section of Palestine then. Where there were Romans and pagans and Jews. Jesus is coming to the Gentiles as well in Mark because he's penning a truthful story with a particular focus aimed at an audience. It's wonderful. Latin measurements and terms are given. The father of Rufus. Remember in Romans? Hey, greet Rufus. Rufus greets you. (laughs) Or excuse me, greet Rufus. The father of Rufus is mentioned in Mark. That's probably the guy in Rome's dad who carries the cross beam of Christ. So that's, that's Mark, that's when, that's who, that's everything else. Next one, it's a gospel. Now for us, gospel's a pretty easy word, but you have to remember, when Mark wrote this second account, or this first account, gospel, think with a capital G. Gospel with a capital G. A gospel as a genre, as a particular type of writing, had never been invented. This is the first one. We take it for granted. There's four Gospels. Why sometimes capital G, sometimes small g? Well, the small g is the message, the Gospel. Capital G is a particular type of book. And this is a Gospel. And it's the first one penned. No one had written an inspired book by the Holy Spirit telling the story of the life and teaching of Jesus. It's the very first one. And it told what had been, what had been preached by Peter about the teaching and the acts of Jesus, about his death, his resurrection, what God had done in Christ for those who would repent and those who would believe in Jesus. And though each gospel, capital G, has a different focus, they all record and proclaim the same good news. The small g gospel. And they all, every one of them, speak more about his death than his life. We've already talked about Mark as an introduction with a lengthy description of the passion. More than a fourth of each, every single gospel deals with the final week of Jesus' life. More than one quarter of any of them. So think of all four. You have more than a quarter of that. Just about the final week of Christ's life. But Mark moves quickly. His gospel is brief but amazing. His gospel is the shortest of all. Remember, 16 chapters, it'll take you based on how, even if you read slow like me, it'll just be a little bit over an hour. It's easy to do. 
It covers specific events and specific teaching, and he, but he does it for a reason. There's a purpose. He's got an audience in mind. He wants to provide comfort and strength to suffering Christians in Rome. He wants to proclaim to Romans and Gentiles everywhere that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he wants to tell what kind of son he was. Not like in their mythology. Not like in what they respect. No, he's a unique son. He comes to serve, suffer, and die. But he also rose again. See, the first eight chapters of Mark, you can break it in half. The first eight chapters of Mark record Jesus' ministry primarily in the northern part of Israel. Now, Israel would be kind of like the United States, the eastern seaboard of the United States, except in reverse. So um, if I happen to be a southern type of person, I say y'all. And um, so that part of Israel would be more like the redneck south. So just, just think United States, here's the urbane north and the redneck south. Well, in Palestine, it was reversed. That's why they knew Peter's accent. They're, they're sitting around the fire, and Peter says his version of y'all. And they went, oh, you're from there. Paul, his stuff, I mean, Mark's stuff takes place where there are a lot of Gentiles and a lot of kind of pagan, unclean people. And you find Jesus is reaching out. He shows that he is holy. Clean can touch unclean and not be contaminated by it, but instead he cures it and purifies it and does it. He takes on all comers. They're afraid of demons. They, they back then always associated storms and all that with demons. And, and Jesus just stands there. Aren't you afraid we're going to die? Think of that story to Romans who are suffering a persecution. And Jesus says, I got it. What about Caesar? You're not, I'm not going to take up arms. What about that? Yeah, I am God. That's the great I am saying. I understand. I'm, this, I'm the son of God, the son of the blessed one. But I don't have to take up arms. I, it's okay. God's got it. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm calling you to do the same. And some of you are going to die too. Don't worry about the other government. The kingdom of God is here. Oh, that's like one of the main verses in Mark. The kingdom of God is here. Now repent and believe the gospel, Jesus says. Oh, it's a great book. So he, ta- he teaches and performs miracles of the crowds in the first eight chapters. And then in the middle, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, the king, the Messiah, when Nero is persecuting the emperor. Peter, we read, he's not the real emperor. And then Jesus focuses on his closest followers, revealing to them slowly his death and resurrection. And in so doing, reminds them Welcome to the Roman situation of the cost of following Jesus. Chapter 11 through 13, he's in Jerusalem, final week, 14, Last Supper, Judas' betrayal, Judas' Jesus' arrest, appearance before the Sanhedrin, 15, see how it starts to slow down? 15 is a whole chapter about Pilate, crucifixion, burial. And then 16, this is where it gets fun. Because most of our Bibles have 16 as long. But if you read the footnotes, or some Bibles actually draw a line, 16 ends, really, at verse 8. It ends abruptly. He, he starts off, hey, by the way, no, no, all the other stuff, it's all good, and, and we need it from the other three Gospels. There's no birth narrative, there's no genealogies. Quick start, abrupt ending. 
bang. And it's an ending in tragedy. How does it end? And they were afraid and they told no one. The end. That's a great gospel. We'll solve that before we close today. All right. Next, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. See, the gospel is about Jesus. It speaks to us for comfort. It challenges us with the cost of discipleship. It talks about John the Baptist, the crowds, the demons, the devil, Jesus' enemies. But they and we, in this sense, are all a supporting cast. We're not unimportant, but it's not about us. We benefit, but this gospel is not about us. They're just bit players. The story is his story. The story is about Jesus. It's filled with awe and astonishment. That's why it's incredible. Again and again, from the crowds, they were astounded at his teaching in chapter one. They were all amazed further in chapter one. From the disciples, they were all filled with great awe and said to one another, one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's chapter four. And they were utterly astounded in chapter 6. They were greatly astounded in chapter 10. It, they never lose the, this is incredible. You are incredible. You are holy, awe, reverence, fear. The whole gospel, that's what happens. In Mark, we learn about Jesus from what he says. But really, in Mark, mainly, we learn about Jesus from what he does. Mark provides a look at Jesus through the lens of Isaiah, as well as providing a lot of data and insight. from the. There's a bucket of titles we're going to walk through in this gospel. But, and they touch his humanity and his divinity. But above all, Mark is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God of God in the flesh. Mark opens the gospel's way and marches forward all the way to his baptism in chapter 1, encountering demons in chapter 3 and 5, the transfiguration in chapter 9, the centurion in chapter 15. The demons know he's the son of God. God himself speaks out of a cloud at the baptism and, and it tells everyone to listen to him at the transfiguration and then the Shekinah glory of God, that cloud vaporizes and everybody's just standing there looking at him. And they're alone, and they saw what was unseen. And they heard, this is my, my beloved son. This is the son of my love. This is who I love. There's the baptism. Transfiguration. The demons are going, you have authority. Don't send us. You're the son of God. Leave us alone. You kind of torment us. He's the son of God. Look in chapter 8. Flip to 8. Mark 8. I want to show you just one interesting connection. I hope, my goal is, I'm fishing right now. Not with the net like the disciples in Mark, but right now, like a fisherman. I want to hook you to read this thing this week. I got one goal. Read it this week. Because it's incredible. Look at chapter 8, verse 29. Let's make an interesting connection. There are so many things to see in this gospel. For us, so many times, if you're like me, oh, uh, yeah, it's Mark. I read it a thousand times. 
And he asked them, the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, imagine that, it's Peter. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now go to Mark 14. You're going to see all kind of little connections if we pay attention in Mark. And we will. The gospel is incredible. Mark 14, 61, down towards the bottom. Gosh, some people are still using paper. How gauche? Okay, 14, 61. It's a joke, it's a joke. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, here's the high priest. The high priest knows. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? That's a synonym for God. They wouldn't say the name of God. The son of the blessed one. Are you Christ? Jesus Christ? The son of God? And Jesus says, I am. He's saying yes, and he's also saying I'm the I am. And then it's interesting, one of these bucket of titles, we'll find that as the son of man, he comes with power to judge with God, seated at the, at the right hand of the ancient of days, coming with the clowns to, crowds to judge the whole earth. He's actually telling them, and I'm coming back to judge you. And that's why they get mad. But for Mark, being Messiah is no earthly title. It's a synonym, as we see, with being God's son. And listen to what else Mark does. Mark describes Jesus as doing only what God can do. In the Old Testament, you find God walking on the waters. That's what Jesus does. You find only God can battle Satan and cast out demons, and that's what Jesus does. Only God can heal, and that's what Jesus does. Only God can take dominion over the, over the stuff that he's created, and that's what Jesus does. And only God can forgive sins, and that's what Jesus does. He's God. Oh, and, and only God can do these kind of miracles and only God can conquer death in the grave and that's what Jesus does. He's incredible. Ah, get this gospel. And Mark shows that Jesus shares a unique relationship of love and obedience with the Father. They go together at Mark. He doesn't establish, like one theologian said, not only that Jesus is a son of God, but also what kind of son of God he is. You'll discover as we read Mark together, he's the suffering servant of Isaiah. He's the obedient son of God. who's obedient even to death on a cross. And that's the first place where humanity actually sees him clearly and unambiguously. The first time in Mark we discover who he really, 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 really is. He died. Darkness, earthquake, torn temple curtain. And a Roman is the first place, first person to say, surely that was the Son of God. Oh, it's incredible. It's just incredible. And while the centurion who stood facing him saw in the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Defeat is transformed into victory as God's Son is revealed in his obedient suffering. And last but not least, the end is really 
the beginning. See, here's the beginning. (laughs) Remember Ezra? God's not done with Israel yet. Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news. Because we see initially he comes to his lost sheep. This is the beginning. Jesus' life and ministry marks a new beginning for the lost sheep of Israel. The remnant, we learn in Romans, he's come now to call and to redeem. And it's a new beginning for his scattered and unbelieving followers. Look, look at Mark 16, 6. This will be the last verse. Mark 16, 6. Right at, the, right at the end. If you hit Matthew, you've gone too far. I mean, Luke, you've gone too far. Look at Mark 16. We're right at the end. This is where the gospel ends. And the angel. Last week, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. You've got to remember, they went there not thinking he was resurrected. They went there going, who's going to remove the stone because we've got to do some more stuff to his dead body? The disciples are all hiding. Peter has called down a curse on himself and has become an apostate. Not a whole lot different than Judas. Who's the bigger traitor in Mark, Judas or Peter? It's a toss-up. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And then here's the downer the book ends on. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Curtain closes, lights on in the theater. The end. Let's everyone go out quietly. What a bummer. Scribes in the church added to it to kind of, hey, let's fill this thing out. But no. What seems like a sad and pathetic ending is self-evidently a new beginning. The women did not remain silent. And Peter did repent. Here's the good news for us. Their failures and our failures because... Jesus is no respecter of persons. If you repent, your failures are not fatal. God overcomes the world in Mark. God overcomes all evil forces. God overcomes everything that persecutes and seems to overwhelm his people and seems to thwart his purpose. God overcomes it. Welcome to the first eight chapters. And then they, and if we're smart, we... Learn that human sin and human frailty and human weakness is also no match for God's incredible love and God's mercy. Why does it end that way? (laughs) Well, okay. They told no one. But 30 years later, I'm telling you. Obviously, they told someone. Obviously, Pastor Peter repented. He just died a year ago, crucified upside down on a Roman cross. It's true. He's risen. He can change you. And if you sin, 
and really mess up like everyone. Mark is the cross looked at from far away. When Jesus is dying, nobody's near but his detractors. We find John, not as in John Mark, but John and his mom and a few of the ladies. And Peter records in Peter that he's way far away because he's just bitterly cried. Judas cried but didn't repent because Judas never believed. And he hung himself. And probably the cord snapped and he tossed down a valley and it tore him to pieces. Peter cried and repented. And Jesus used him again and he died. And his words were written down by a kid who ran away and ran back to Mama on the first missionary journey. If God can use them, God can use us because we're part of that story too. See, I, I love this book because it just paints the disciples like, like me every day when I look in the mirror. If, if you're just feeling like a useless waste of time, this book's great. Because it agrees with you. <laughs> and shows you that his incredible power, his incredible obedience, and his incredible sacrifice, and his incredible love can do something you don't think is credible. Change and use you for his glory and your good and the salvation of others. So band come forward. We'll sing Hosanna as we look at this gospel of Mark together for the next several months. Let's see how incredible he is to even save us from ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, this gospel is not concluded. It ended abruptly because the chapter still being written. <laughs> it's our lives. We're now to go out and proclaim. But Lord, as much as we want to be challenged to discipleship, as much as we want to be comforted in our suffering, right now, Lord, our main goal is just to look to you, our Savior, and fall in love with you again. Lord, maybe some here need to fall in love the first time and repent and believe. Lord, I think for the vast majority of us, Lord, this gospel serves as a reminder. Open our eyes afresh. Fill our hearts again with who your son is and what he did and what he said. And Lord, let us see your grace and your mercy. Oh, you are incredible. You are awesome. You are holy. You are not like us. You don't need us. And yet, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on flesh and dwelt among us. It was a suffering servant who, who was crushed by his Father to atone to turn away God's wrath and to wipe away our sin on the cross where we most clearly see the glory and the goodness, the justice and the severity of our sin and of God. Lord, if you did that for us while we were yet sinners, how much more now? 
And Lord, we see Peter on display by John Mark, another loser, who you redeemed and you reuse. Do that again for us too, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.